You are Locked On Phillies, your daily Philadelphia Phillies podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, guys? It is Thursday, September 5th, 2019. This is Locked On Phillies. I'm Tim Kelly. So last night, the Phillies got two pinch hit home runs. They robbed a home run from the Reds. And they still managed to lose the game. Before we get to that cheery story, let me talk to you about Postmates, who's the sponsor of today's show. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery, 24-7, 365, all year round. For a limited time, Postmates is giving Locked On Phillies listeners $100 in free delivery credit for your first seven days. Download the Postmates app and use the promo code LOCKEDON. So Aaron Noel had a very disappointing outing in a big moment last night, lasting just four innings and giving up five runs. It happens. Aaron Noel has been excellent for the most part since the All-Star break. He had a clunker last night, and unfortunately, it came at a bad time. The Phillies got themselves in a 5 nothing hole, which caused quite a few people to turn to the outing of Spencer Howard, who he was tremendous for double-A Reading last night in their playoff game, and I'll get to that a little more extensively later in the show. But the Phillies weren't done even after getting in that 5 nothing hole. Logan Morrison was called off the bench and hit a titanic two-run home run in the top of the fifth inning. Later in that inning, JT Real Muto launched his 21st home run of the season, another two-run shot to put the Phillies within one run. I, I tweeted this out at Tim Kelly Sports. You can follow me for this uh, type of insight during the game. At the beginning of the season, I wrote an article, I believe for WIP, that... I thought JT Real Muto would finish in the top 10 in NL MVP voting. At the All-Star break, I was like, all right, maybe that was a little bit eager. Now, I don't know if he will, but I, it's not even a debate in my mind that JT Real Muto should finish in the top 10, if not the top 7, and that's maybe insignificant to most people. But a catcher finishing in the top 10 in NL MVP voting, it, it says something. You have to be really good catcher. If you think about any catchers recently that have finished in the top 10 in NL MVP voting, or MVP voting period, I think of Joe Maurer, Buster Posey, Yadier Molina, all of whom have Hall of Fame cases. Now, I'm not saying JT Real Muto's in that case, but it's saying something. In any event, the Phillies climbed all the way back in the game in the seventh when Jay Bruce, who had some really nice years as a red, he had a long pinch hit home run. Uh, say what you will about Gabe Kapler. I think he, he's been a mixed bag as a manager in almost two seasons, and we'll see what happens moving forward. But he really pushed the right buttons last night. Frankly, it, it might be the best job he's done in a game as a manager, and I don't mean that sarcastically. A lot of managing is calling on guys and having them produce, and that makes you look smart. Charlie Manuel looked like a genius in 2008 for calling on Matt Stairs. Charlie Manuel didn't go out there and swing the bat, but he called on Matt Stairs at the right time. Last night, Gabe Kapler twice called on the right pinch hitter at the right time, and I think it was one of his best games managing. The problem is the Phillies' bullpen wasn't able to hold it late. Jose Alvarez gave up a home run in the bottom of the seventh inning to Jose Iglesias, of all people, who is an excellent fielder, but not someone you think of as, this guy's going to come up and hit a go-ahead home run. 
Then Adam Hazley robbed a home run from Freddie Galvis in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, an absolutely tremendous catch by Hazley, and he deked everybody because I thought he had the ball given that no one in the crowd was cheering that they had caught the ball. But Hazley caught the ball, put it down to his side, and ran about 10 feet before finally showing that he had caught the ball. It was a cool moment. Unfortunately, uh, Mike Moore, or Blake Parker, excuse me, wasn't able to build on the luck that he had from that catch because a, a few hitters later, Michael Lorenzen, who's one of the most unique hitters, u- unique weapons in baseball, he had a two-run home run that essentially put the game on ice. And I saw this on Twitter from Ryan Spader, I believe, saying that he's the first player since Babe Ruth to have a home run in a game where he played pitcher and center field. So uh, pretty. You, you watched history last night. Um, those are the type of games you need to win when you're fighting for a wild card spot and haven't had a five-game winning streak all year, and at this point doesn't look like you're going to have a five-game winning streak all year. You can't say last night wasn't an interesting game, though, uh, and we'll see what happens this afternoon as the Phillies will go to try and take three of four of the games at 12.35, so very early. And by the way, today will start at 12.35. The first three games of this series, or the last two nights, I should say, have started at 6.40, which initially I thought was kind of a strange starting time. I like it 20 minutes earlier. Like by 6.30 on a game night, I'm ready to watch the game. So 6.40 is a solid start time for what it's worth. Jason Vargas is going to get the ball for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Sonny Gray, who was available as available, gets last offseason. He's had an excellent season for the Reds now that he's out of New York. He's 10-6 and with a 2.80 ERA and a 3.7 F4. It wouldn't be a stretch to say he's had a better overall season than Aaron Nola this year and certainly than probably everyone else that's pitched for the Phillies combined. He'll pitch against the Phillies this afternoon at 12.35 in front of maybe 5,000 fans at Great American Ballpark. So a few other items I want to get to. First, the Reading Fightins lost last night 4-3 in Game 1 of their playoff series. But realistically, the most important note is that Spencer Howard, the Phillies' top pitching prospect, he struck out 7-12. of 12. Matt Gelb an interesting piece earlier this week about how the Phillies haven't entirely closed the door on Howard joining them later this month. It's not likely, but Gabe Kapler's given himself some wiggle room. Still, almost certainly, regardless of what happens the rest of this season with Redding's playoff run and whatever happens with Spencer Howard after that, he's going to be with the Phillies next summer, and boy, do they need another impact arm in this rotation. The second note that I wanted to get to, and it's somewhat related, Phillies announced earlier this week that Johnny Almaraz was stepping down as the Phillies scouting director. Uh, He's 54 years old. He took over the position in October of 2014. Since then, they've made five first-round picks. Cornelius Randolph was selected by the Phillies with the 10th overall pick in 2015. He's 22. He has 10 home runs and 44 RBIs and 348 at-bats for Reading this season, the regular season at-bats. But he's number 28 on MLB Pipeline's most recent look at the Phillies' top prospects. So it doesn't look like you're getting a first-round return there. Uh, The Phillies had the number one overall pick in 2016, of course. They used that to select Mickey Moniak, who I believe had an RBI last night. But there wasn't a consensus number one pick in 2016. There was a financial strategy behind taking Moniak. But he hasn't fallen flat on his face, but he slashed 252, 303, 439 for Reading this year. Not inspiring. He's only 21. I get that. And I think he's going to be a major leaguer in some form. But when you have even a top five pick, you hope you get a franchise-altering player. 
and it, it just doesn't appear they've gotten that with Moniak. In 2017, I think that has to be a chance to has a chance to be his best draft. Almaraz uh, and the Phillies selected Adam Hazley, who was the number eight overall pick in the the draft that year. Started in center field for the Phillies last night. Made a what, what could have been a, a game changing catch. It didn't ultimately end up being that. But Hazley, at the very least, is a major leaguer. We'll see what his upside is offensively. I don't know how high it is because I don't know what level of power he's going to develop, if any. But Spencer Howard is the real gem of that pick, and he was the, or of that draft, and he was the second round pick that year out of Cal Poly. Uh, you have very high hopes. He had some injuries earlier in the season, but he has just been incredible. Maybe the best minor leaguer the Phillies have had this season if you're only looking at the second half of the season or a short sample size. The Phillies' top overall prospect, of course, is Alec Bohm, who's also with Redding. He was the number three overall pick in the 2018 MLB draft. He hit 305 this year, 896 OPS, 21 home runs, 80 RBIs. I think next season he's going to start out at AAA because of service time manipulation, but by June he's going to be the Phillies' third baseman and hopefully I think they would think he's going to be the third baseman for the next decade to come after that certainly he's going to be in their lineup at some form and we'll see if defensively he sticks at third base and then Bryson Stott who they took with the number 14 overall pick in this year's draft uh, he, he had a good first season across two levels in the New York Penn League and the Gulf Coast League. He had 295, six home runs, 27 RBIs, and 166 at-bats. So not a ton of uh, sample size to work with, but so far, Stott looks pretty good. Um, Almarez was also the Phillies scouting director during the July 2015 Cole Hamels trade, which looks like a disaster at this point. I, I don't know how else to phrase it. Unless you're really reading into the fact that Jorge Alfaro was used in the JT Real Muto deal, but Jorge Alfaro wasn't even the top piece used in that deal. You also got Nick Williams, Jake Thompson, Jared Eikhoff. I mean, Williams you got some production from. I think his time in Philadelphia is over one way or another at the end of the season. Jake Thompson has been gone since the middle of last season. Jared Eikhoff had a very good season in 2016 and has really never been able to discover it for largely health reasons, but... Uh, even when he's un or even when he's healthy this year, after a great start, he just completely collapsed. Uh, and then also the Vince Velasquez trade uh, before the 2016 season that landed the Phillies, or the Ken Giles trade that landed the Phillies. Vince Velasquez, Almaraz was also the scouting director, so it's tough to say exactly how much influence he had over those two deals. But they don't look great in terms of return for the Phillies. Some other notable prospects signed or drafted during Almaraz's tenure include Scott Kingery, Luis Garcia, Francisco Morales, Eric Miller, JoJo Romero, and Jalen Ortiz. So I think in a lot of senses, it's a mixed bag for Almarez, and it's probably too early to tell. And that's one of the reasons it's so hard to evaluate talent developers and people that are in charge of these type of positions. He resigned. It doesn't appear that he was pushed out, and he resigned so he wouldn't be fired. It looks like this was his own choice. He's not living on bad terms like Joe Jordan did a season ago. He's going to stay within the organization. So we'll see what the Phillies do moving forward. Uh, Almarez was actually inherited by Matt Klintak, but it, it appears they seem to have worked pretty well together. So uh, some struggles maybe in some of the earlier drafts but the last couple of years I think have been pretty good so we'll see what happens there one final thing 
a point of contention between Gabe Kapler and some in the fan base and the media and wherever has been how Scott Kingery has been used. Uh, last year, the Phillies hoped to use Scott Kingery in a super utility role. It never actually happened. He got 374 of his 452 at-bats at shortstop. So people saying, oh, yeah, his bat struggled because he was being moved around the field so much. It's just it, it's not true. He They wanted to do that. It, it didn't happen because uh, J.P. Crawford was injured and underperformed, and they needed Kingery to play shortstop. This year, after acquiring Gene Segura in the offseason, Segura's obviously been the starting shortstop. Kingery has been able to move all over the diamond with Cesar Hernandez still in the picture and with some tweaks to the offensive approach and even though he's played 400 innings in the outfield along with 236 uh, innings uh, over 240 after last night at third base he's found some really good success he is an F4 approaching three this season and he said in an interview last week on WIP with Joe DeCamera and John Barchard, that he actually thinks uh, Gabe Kapler's communication style has been a big reason why he's been able to put uh, his ugly rookie season behind him. He said, it's awesome to play for Gabe Kapler. He's a great guy, very, very positive. As a player, he communicates very well, and that's something you want, especially for a guy like me who's going to be playing multiple positions, maybe a different position every night. He's very good at communicating and driving me a little bit or giving me, excuse me, a little bit of a heads up and letting me know the night before whether I'm going to be playing third base, center field, second base, wherever it might be. So I think it's something worth noting that there's been a lot of a narrative that Gabe Kapler hasn't connected with players or Gabe Kapler's lost the clubhouse. And it's possible that some people view the positivity as just overkill. But I think that any idea that there's the dissent in the Phillies clubhouse the way that there was at the end of Chip Kelly's Eagles tenure, I mean, I, I can confirm to you that that's not true. And I, it just it doesn't seem maybe they'll decide at the end of the season to go in another direction at manager, and I'm not sure that they would be wrong to do that. I'm not sure they'd be right either. But it doesn't seem like this. people kind of work backwards from their conclusion in, in regards to the idea that Gabe Kapler lost the clubhouse. It just it, it doesn't appear to be the case. Finally, the Phillies received good news pertaining to Sir Anthony Dominguez Wednesday. Still no reason to think he's going to need Tommy John surgery. Uh, Todd Zalecki of MLB.com said last week that Dominguez, who hasn't pitched since early June, had some soreness the last time he attempted to throw. Uh, that led to him being reevaluated by the Phillies team physician yesterday. But Gabe Kapler told the collective media, which included Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports Philadelphia, that Dominguez's appointment went very well. There's only a few weeks left in the season, but Dominguez is going to resume his throwing program as opposed to just being shut down for the remainder of the season. That seems a little curious to me, but it's I guess it's a good sign that they feel confident enough in him to have him go back to that throwing program. I think the best move for all parties involved may be to shut him down right now. I'll be completely honest with you, and I hope this doesn't come off as conspiratorial. It's still a little strange to me that he didn't have Tommy John surgery, had the injection in June, and hasn't been back on a mound since. And until I see him back on the mound and healthy and cleared and with this behind him, it'll be a little bit concerning. Phillies again play 1235 this afternoon. I will be back tomorrow with the three things the Phillies taught us this week. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Kelly Sports and read my work on both philliesnation.com and radio.com.